Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Well, what an amazing day. I want to share with you this morning from the Word. And I actually, before I get into the, the series content, because we are in part three of our Olive and Fig series, which has been, I don't know if it's been a blessing for you as much as it has for me, but man, it's been great. Um, but one of the things that, that seems to have come out in what Brianne was saying, in some of what Leslie was saying this morning, in what Frankie was praying before we had our sound check this morning, is this idea, and it's actually going to come out in the message today too, this idea of receiving from God, because sometimes you just need to get out of your own way and receive whatever it is that God wants to do and deposit in your life. I took a picture of this. I saw this on Instagram this morning, and it just struck me. It's a preacher. I won't mention who it is, just so that you don't go searching. But uh, he says, my mother got me a beautiful watch for my birthday, the exact one that I asked for. I immediately threw it on the ground and stomped on it. She didn't seem to understand that I wasn't at the party for my blessing. I was there just to feel her presence. And uh, I thought, wow, we do that sometimes as Christians. We say, oh, I don't need anything. I'm just here to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And sometimes you do need, you do need to enjoy the presence of the Lord, and that's it. But then sometimes you need to come and just receive whatever God wants to give you. And, and, and I have to imagine that there's times when we go before God, and, and he's got something he wants to deposit to us, and we in our own arrogance go, I don't need anything. I'm just here for your presence. And God's like, but I actually know what you need, and I, I brought it here, and I want to give it to you. So will you just receive what God has for you this morning, uh, and don't throw the watch on the ground. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's um, let's read our our title text, which is Galatians chapter five. And Claire, would you give me my water bottle wherever it is, please, darling? Oh, there it is. Thank you. Thank you. I know you had a few sips. I saw you. You you think Daddy doesn't see, but I see everything. That's right. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5. I need to get my timer so I don't preach for three hours. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. These are our, our main title texts for our series today. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Against such, there is no law. These are the nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about, not to be confused with the nine gifts of the Spirit, which Paul also talks about, but that's in 1 Corinthians 12, and that's a different series altogether. But how many of you know the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are designed to work together? If you learn how to master love, it'll be easier to prophesy. Amen? And uh, we won't talk about that because I could preach about that all day. But... um, Let's go ahead and make our confession of faith. Sorry, I'm a little bit out of sorts. I'm still trying to find my bearings after that show of love. Let's make our confession of faith. If you're watching us on the live stream, you'll see this as well. Let's go ahead and declare this out loud, and then we'll pray and get into the word. Say this out loud. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you. The ears of my heart hear you. 
my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Say that one last part again. Today. Amen. We believe we're growing in the things of God this morning. I believe we're all going to be better because of the time spent in the word and the presence of God today. Can you say amen to that? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to come before your word. We thank you, Father God, that your word brings clarity to the confusions of our lives, that, Father, your word brings order to our hearts. It brings order to our mind. It illuminates those things that we need to see and understand. And, Lord, we don't take your word lightly this morning. We don't take your presence lightly this morning. We know that you have something you want to deposit into our hearts. So today, Lord, we pull up a seat at the table and we come hungry, ready to receive everything that you have in store for us, leaving nothing left. We praise you and we give you thanks for all that you want to do in us today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen, amen. and amen. Just a moment of review before we talk about the content we need to cover today. Last week, you'll remember, we looked at the soil of our hearts, which is the starting point where all fruit is formed. You can take a very healthy plant out of its soil and give it all the light and nourishment that you want to give it. You can give it all the water and the light and sunlight and put it in a nice place next to your kitchen sink and a beautiful window, and you can think, boy, this plant's going to be so healthy. I'm watering it every day. It's getting all the sunlight it needs, but if it's out of the soil, it's going to die. And it's only a matter of time because the soil is the foundation from which all healthy fruit grows. And so we looked last week at the fact that the soil of our lives is our hearts. We looked at the parable of the sower where Jesus talks about uh, four different elements. He talks about the wayside, which we said is our mind. It's the, it's the part that runs right alongside the soil of our heart. And then we talked about the stony soil, which we said was the divided heart. It's the the heart that's not completely given over to the things of God. And then we talked about the thorny soil, which we said was the neglected heart. It's It's the soil where anything and everything is allowed to grow. And then we talked lastly about the good soil, which is the pure heart. It's the, it's the heart where there's only soil in there and the seed doesn't have to fight with anything in order to produce fruit. And uh, we said that it's so important that we as believers guard our hearts. Um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we quoted it last week. Guard your heart, for out of it flow all the issues of life. And Proverbs is very specific, not just in that scripture, but in other places, about the serious nature of setting up a boundary and a guard over our heart. You know, a lot of us live with this silly expectation that we can do anything we want to do, and it will have no bearing or effect on our spiritual lives. I'm here to tell you that if all you eat is cupcakes and lollipops, you're going to have cupcake and lollipop-shaped love handles. Amen? It's just going to show up in you. you. You can't consume without being affected by what you consume. Amen? And so our heart is so important, and we need to keep tabs on it. We need to keep watch over it. Amen? Um, moving forward from there... We come back now to Galatians chapter 5, and we want to turn our attention to these two verses for the remainder of this series, and we want to begin investigating these fruits 
one by one. So today we're going to talk about the first three fruits of the Spirit that are mentioned in verse 22 of Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace. If I, I, I would encourage you today to take notes because a lot of the stuff we're talking about today is very robust and it's very full, and, and I want to encourage you to get everything that you can. The first, the first fruit, the first attribute is love, and we're probably going to take the bulk of the sermon today and talk about that, uh, and there's reason for that. I'll get into it here in just a moment. But let's, let's start by defining love, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people that wonder what love is. They write songs about it. What's love got to do with it? Right? Got to do with it. Got to do with it. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Right? Right? What is love? Love, baby, don't hurt me. Anyways. Um, People wax poetic about love. There are, there's a whole industry built around February 14th. You know, Cupid and chocolate and roses and hearts and yeah. valentines, as Sophia likes to say, valentines. There's a lot that this world attempts at to try to capture and define and understand and ex- ultimately experience love. The Beatles said, all you need is love, Right? Well, you actually need a little bit more than love to make a life worth living, but it's a good place to start. And there's a reason why Paul starts with love. If you actually go read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we affectionately call the love chapter, you'll find that of all the attributes that are listed, it says things like love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love is not proud, love behaves, love is not uh, easily provoked. There's, there's this whole long list of attributes that are attributes of love. And did you know that all of the things that he mentions as fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 are all packed into love? They're all in 1 Corinthians 13. So there's a reason why Paul starts With love, it's very, very important. Now, I'm going to talk about that some more in just a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's let's define, to the best of our ability, for our study's sake, what is love. The Greek word, of course, many of you will be familiar with this, is the word agape. Agape. It means, in the simplest of terms, affection, goodwill, benevolence, charity, Love feasts. That's an interesting one. I suppose that what we had this morning when y'all prayed for us was a bit of a love feast. Amen? The complexity of this word makes it difficult even for scholars to define in simple and condensed terms. Makes it even the the most scholarly of all scholars the ones with the biggest beard and the longest pipe. Even they have a hard time defining and and simplifying for us the word love. And the reason is because it's such a big concept. You know, there's not enough pages in all the books in my library at home to, to write about the subject of love. We'd still only be scratching the surface. I like the, the lyrics, and I'm probably going to mess this up, but the lyrics of, of one of the old hymns that says, were the sky parchment, 
and all the seas ink. I'm messing, I'm messing it up, but y'all get this. All the seas, if all the seas were ink and all the skies were parchment, there still wouldn't be enough ink or sky to write out what the love of God is. I'll go find those lyrics for you guys and share them with you next week. It's amazing. Strong's Greek Dictionary does the best job it can characterizing love this way by describing love feasts, which were common occurrences in the ancient world. This is what it reads. That agape love feasts were feasts expressing and fostering mutual love, which used to be held by Christians before the celebration of the Lord's Supper and at which the poorer Christians mingled with the wealthier and partook in common with the rest of food provided at the expense of the wealthy. So when Strong seeks to define what love looks like, he uses that example. This example of a big, beautiful table that's spread out, and everybody's welcome at the table. And it doesn't matter your financial status, if you're rich or if you're poor, everybody comes together. And the beauty of it was that those who were rich, those who were wealthy, actually made provisions for those who were poor. So what we end up seeing in this is love that's defined purely on the basis of what it can give. If you want to understand what love really looks like, you can't do it or you can't separate it from the idea of giving. We already had a good offering this morning. I'm not trying to give an offering service. This is as much to say that if you and I want to walk in and operate in the love of God in our lives, we need to learn to become people who are by nature giving. Pride is outside in, meaning what do you have that I can benefit from? That's how pride works. I'll take a little bit from this relationship. I'll take a little bit from this relationship. Let me get some of this. Let me get this. It's always working outside in. It's what do you have that I need? Love, on the other hand, works completely in reverse. What do I have that you need? What do I have that I can pour into you? What do I have that I can bless you with? You see, love works from the inside out, and its very nature, the mechanism of how love operates, is to find a need and meet it. Love can be defined, I believe, very purely on the basis of giving. After all, what does John 3.16 say? The most famous verse in all of history. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's one of my favorite preachers says it like this. He says, he says God didn't Say It doesn't say, God so loved the world that he shouted down from heaven, I love you. Yeah. Right? Good luck with life. No, God so loved the world. In other words, God demonstrated his love for the world by what? By giving. Let me read to you the words of Pastor Rick Renners, the pastor of the Good News Church in Moscow, Russia. He's my all-time favorite Bible teacher. I have several of his books at my house, and I took this from one of them called Sparkling Gems from the Greek. He writes this about the word agape. Agape occurs when an individual sees, recognizes, understands, or appreciates the value of an object or a person. 
causing the viewer to behold this object or person in great esteem, in awe, in admiration, in wonder, and in sincere appreciation. Such great respect, listen to this, such great respect is awakened in the heart of the observer for the person or object that he is beholding that he is compelled to love it. In fact, this blew me away, in fact, this love for that person or object is so strong that it is irresistible. Did you catch that? Love can make an ugly thing irresistible. How else do you describe a God who would leave heaven to come to earth and become like the people he was needing to save? How offensive would it be to God to put on human flesh? I mean, you want to talk about some kind of crazy love. What kind of love would leave the eternal satisfaction of of heaven? And the very fact that he was God, I mean, think about what Jesus did. The Bible says in Colossians that everything was made by Jesus, through Jesus, and for the benefit of Jesus. So Jesus was the one that was in the beginning. He was there when, when all of heaven and earth and the universe was created. Everything was created for him. He was the object of God's affection when God decided to create the world. Isn't that amazing? He did it for his son. He built this universe for his son, through his son, by his son, for his son. And his son, Jesus, decided before all of that even started, the Bible says he was the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So, so God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit got together. And the father said, I'm going to make this entire universe for your benefit, Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually leave this group of three and I'm going to go down and become like the very people that need to be redeemed so that we can demonstrate for them our love. Now you see why you can't fit it into a nice, neat box. Love makes the ugly thing irresistible. You are irresistible to Jesus this morning. Irresistible. Man. I know that's, I know that's hard for us to, like, get. Because... Because God's supposed to be the one that's irresistible to us, right? We're supposed to love, look at him and, and behold his beauty and his splendor and go, oh my gosh, Lord, I love you. You're irresistible. And that's true. This doesn't take away from that in any way. It's just simply the reality that you are irresistible to Jesus. Irresistible enough to get him to leave the Godhead and come in the form of human flesh. Pastor Rick goes on to say this. You see, agape is a love that loves so profoundly that it knows no limits or boundaries in how far, how wide, how high, and how deep it will go to show this love to its recipient. If necessary, agape love will even sacrifice itself for the sake of that object or person it so deeply cherishes. Thus, agape is the highest form of love. A self-sacrificial type of love that moves the lover to action for the sake of the beloved. 
Do you know why, why relationships go haywire? Why marriages fail? Why parents and children drift apart in their relationships? Do you want to know why? It's because at some point, both parties involved stop doing this. At some point, both parties involved get comfortable. And in that comfort and in that familiarity, they begin to back away from the irresistible nature of the person that they say they love. Amen. You see, if you and I learn to operate in the love of God, what will happen is, you take our marriage for an example. Here, come here for a second. We got a great marriage. We never fight. We don't even argue. <laughs> I mean, can you believe, Brianna agrees with me about everything. Oh, yeah. It's so good. And I, I disagree with her on everything, too. It's just, we just, man, like a hand in a glove. <laughs> If I ever get to the place where I get so familiar here mm-hmm. that I stop losing, or, I, or, or, or excuse me, I start losing and stop possessing that irresistible draw mm-hmm. to her, then we'll go astray. Yeah. We'll mess up. And that's what happens in our relationship. That's what happens with kids. That's what happens with people on the job. That's what happens. We start to lose respect for each other because we get just familiar enough and just comfortable enough that it's, oh, man, it's just my wife. Oh, it's just my boss. Oh, it's just my kids. Oh, it's just my best friend. Oh, it's just this, that, and the other. It's just my neighbor. Now, Jesus told us we were supposed to love our neighbor the same way that we love ourselves. You can sit down. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Jesus said we're supposed to love our neighbor the way that we love ourselves. That means you're supposed to see the hurts of humanity around you as irresistible. Amen. What would happen if we got drawn to the pain that we see in people? Could we put our pride on the shelf long enough to say, Lord, use me as a method of, as a tool for healing in that person's life? This love... I know I'm making it sound like a real big thing because it is really big, but let me give you a little bit of encouragement. This love goes way beyond sheer human ability. You need the Holy Spirit to help you live in the love of God. We all do. It's important for us to understand. I got to keep going in my notes, otherwise I'll get bogged down. It's important for us to understand why Paul put love at the beginning of the list in Galatians 5. You remember I was talking about that just a moment ago. Why would he put love first? Why, did it, why was it not joy, peace, and love? Why was it love, right? Why did that come first? Love, joy, peace, why? The reason is, don't let this be too simple of an answer for you, but the reason is because it has to come first. It has to come first. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Because every fruit that Paul lists here in Galatians 5 is able to exist in us because love existed in us first. Love's got to come first. You can't know the peace of God until you know the love of God. You can't walk in joy until you walk in love. You can't 
you can, let me tell you from experience, you can't have long suffering without some love. Just wait till next week. Wait till we get to long suffering. That one's going to light us up. Love triggers everything else on this list. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, kindness, gentleness, temperance, self-control. Love is the reason you can have self-control. Love triggers joy. Love triggers meekness. You say, prove it to me, pastor. Love triggers joy. You want me to prove it to you? Because my wife was just up here. I'm not going to ask you to get up again. But let's say for a second that we, we did encounter a scenario where we didn't agree on everything 100%. And, 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 and we, were, we were getting ready to have heated fellowship. Right? Heated fellowship. I, I once, I stole that from a pastor. He, he talked about having heated fellowship with his wife all the way to church. He said, our arms were waving. He said, we were going after. He said, as soon as we pulled up to the church, the people opened the door and said, bless God. Good morning, brother. Hallelujah. Good to see you. As though nothing was wrong. Imagine we're getting ready to have heated fellowship. But, but, but we both say that we're committed to peace. And we want to live in a life and in a marriage that has peace. So we're getting ready to have some heated fellowship. And, and, and all I want to do is be right. But then the love of God on the inside of me and the love of God on the inside of Brianne is the thing that actually compels us to remember that our pursuit of peace is more valuable than being right. You see, we access peace because love has already paved the way. We access joy. You're getting ready to be depressed. The enemies just hit you with another one, telling you about how worthless your life is and how much of a, you know, whatever, a failure you are and how you're never going to make it. And the enemy just starts laying on the guilt trip real strong. And then all of a sudden, you remember, I am beloved of God. God loves me. Jesus died for me because he loves me. And you know what you experience? Joy. Love's the gateway. It's the access into these other gifts, or excuse me, into these other fruits. Knowing that love is the crucial element to all the other fruits of the Spirit leads us to a critical conclusion. That is this, that love must be received before it can be reciprocated. Love must be received before it can be reciprocated. You can't give what you don't have. Right? Can't do it. Remember what we said at the beginning of this series. The fruit of God's spirit needs to be formed in us before it can ever manifest on us. We love to walk up to a fruit tree. I was coming back last week from McDowell County past the orchard at Alta Pass. If you've ever been to... McDowell County, you should check it out. It's on the parkway. And they got tons of apple trees, don't they, Eric? They got tons of apple trees down there. And we were driving by these apple trees, and man, they were loaded with apples. And I told Matt, Matt was driving, I said, dude, I want to stop and steal some apples off those trees. I love to see a tree that's loaded full of fruit, but before the fruit can hang on the tree, the good stuff, the nourishment has got to be formed in the tree. And before love can be displayed on you, it's got to be received in you. This is one thing that the enemy works at so hard in our lives, and that's keeping us from receiving the love of God. 
And guys, let me tell you from experience, he'll throw everything in the book at you. He'll throw everything he possibly can to divert you from receiving the love of God. If he can convince you that you're not valuable and you're not worthy of the love of God, he'll stop you from receiving it. Your guilt will condemn you. You'll go, oh man, I'm such a failure. God could never do anything with me. No, I'm not worthy of the love of God. You know what? You're not, but he loves you anyways. Amen? Apart from his love, we're not worthy. And that's okay. He still loves you. Amen? How many of you have got kids that have, you know, not done what you told them to do? I need you to do this. And they just keep doing what they're doing. Well, you know, they don't have your pleasure in that moment, but they still have your love. You know, you and I were born in sin. We were not born into the pleasure of God, but we were totally born into the love of God. And that's something, according to Romans 8, we're never going to escape. Nothing can separate us, Paul said. Nothing. Angels, demons, heaven, hell, height, depth, width, breadth. There is nothing you can find in the universe or beyond the universe that can separate you from the love of God. (laughs) Years ago... I was preaching this, this topic, this concept to our uh, youth group in, at our church in Fort Myers. I didn't even know Brianne. That's how long ago it was. It was a long time. And I was, whew, I was preaching to our youth group, and I was wanting to really get to them, get across to them the love of God. And so I was preaching my way through 1 Corinthians 13, and... and um, I was asking the Lord for like wisdom and revelation, like how do I get this across to these kids, how important love is? And so the Holy Spirit gave me this phrase, this statement, and it stuck with me all these years, and that is this, love is our immunity from carnality. Love is our immunity from carnality, because 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is patient, so every time you want to be unpatient, impatient, Love will make you immune to impatience. Love will manifest in your heart and you'll become a patient person. You'll go, how did that happen? Oh, I got the love of God. There's a lot lot of discussion right now about immunity and vaccines. You need to get a vaccine of the love of Jesus in your life because it'll make you immune to the disease called pride. Amen? You need to get an injection of God's love, the love of Jesus getting poured into and injected into your life. Get you a love vaccine. Hallelujah. I mean, do whatever else you want with the other one, but get the love vaccine by by all means so that you can be immune to the flesh, so that you can be immune to carnality, so that when 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 the enemy wants to work on you and the flesh wants to rear its ugly head, the love of God will rise up in you and you'll be immune from that. We say, oh, oh, I don't have to walk according to the flesh. Oh, I don't have to be angry all the time. Amen. We need a little bit more time on love in order to do this word justice, in order to to really unpack it, but we don't have more time, so we got to keep moving. (laughs) There's two other fruits we got to talk about this morning, but I, but I, wanted, to, I wanted to at least set the stage, yeah. and maybe we'll do a series later in this year, this, later in this year, this year's going to be over soon, uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll do a, a series soon at some point on the love of God. Maybe we just take eight weeks and talk about the love of God, because 
you know, because that's still just scratching the surface. We're going to have all of eternity. The Bible says it's going to take us all of eternity to understand and comprehend the love of God. So we're not going to cram it into a series. I just want you to know, but we'll do our best. But let's keep moving on from here and talk about the fruit of joy. How many of you could handle a little bit more joy? Yeah, amen? Yeah, you definitely can, because when I said that, you didn't get super excited at the idea. So you, uh, ha, gotcha. <laughs> we all could use a little more joy. The word joy here in the Greek and other places in Scripture is the word kara. It's actually the same root word as the word charis, which is the word for grace. So grace and joy are pretty closely linked together. Not a surprise. The word means cheerfulness, means calm delight. It means gladness, to be greatly or to be exceedingly joyful. I want you to understand that joy is not passive. Amen. Joy is not passive. And if you don't believe me, go to a football game and watch the home team score a touchdown. Tell me if joy is passive. And that's uh, no offense to... No, no offense to people that love football. Certainly no offense to the Cardwell family. <laughs> but, but that's cheap, that's cheap joy. When, when compared to heavenly things, right? When compared to the, to the kingdom of God, I mean, you know, I, I get real joyful when I get donuts from DiCamillo Bakery in Niagara Falls, New York, and I just get to experience my childhood in a few bites. I get really joyful. That's cheap joy. It's fat, sugar, salt. It's cheap it's real good. <laughs> but see, joy is not passive. When you experience and you encounter joy, whew, it does something to you. It bubbles up. You ever, y'all ever seen them percolating coffee pots? My mom had one, probably still has one. Yeah, that's her favorite. She's got two. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I guess that's a, an old school thing, but but you, could, you, you put the coffee in the bottom and it percolates up and it bubbles and it comes into the chamber above and you have really good coffee, it's, it's joy kind of works the same. It bubbles in you. You start to sense joy and, and you go, ooh, something different, something going on in me. Ooh, what was that? Oh, what was that? I, didn't, I haven't felt that in a while. What was that? What was that bubble? Abigail came up to me the other day after service, last week after church service, and she said, Daddy, I got bubbly. She said, Daddy, I got bubbly. I said, yes, you did. That was the joy of the Holy Spirit. What a teachable moment. I don't ever want her to forget that moment. No, you, yeah, you got bubbly on the inside. Oh, why? Because God was doing something in here, and joy was being birthed on the inside of you. And let me tell you something. The bubbliness is the thing that will carry you through the hard season. You need to be more bubblier. Amen? Just tell your neighbor, get bubbly. Just get, get bubbly. You need to get bubbly, man. Joy is not passive. It's to be greatly or exceedingly joyful. Look at this in 1 Kings chapter 1. This is a great example. 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 39. I'll just read it to you. You don't need to worry about putting it on the screen. 1 Kings 1.39 says, Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. Stop right there. When the anointing comes around, you start getting joyful. Keep moving. Then they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced. I, I just have to imagine everybody in Israel with a flute. It just sounds funny. 
All the people went up after him and they played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with the sound. I don't want to hear one more person saying it's too loud in here on Sunday morning. Yeah. The earth seemed to split with the sound. Joy has a sound. Joy sounds like something. Depression sounds like sad silence. Sad silence. Not happy silence. Happy silence is when you sit on the back porch at 6.30 in the morning and everything in nature is coming alive and you hear all kinds of sound. That's joy. It's silent, but it's not sad silent. Sad silent is when your thoughts keep hitting your head and it just pulls you lower and lower and lower and lower. Joy is not quiet. It's vibrant. Isaiah 61.3 says this. This is God's desire to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. See, joy is most often categorically different from its surroundings. Your faith will often be expressed by your joy. Your faith, that's tweetable, your faith will often be expressed by your joy because everything around you looks unjoyful and somehow you're still bubbly. Amen. Amen. I want, I want to take the time. Can I, can I have like three minutes to just take the time in this verse? I still have a lot to cover, but thank you. Brian says, good, done. He says, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Do you understand what that's referring to? It's referring to death in the Old Testament in Jewish culture. When someone you loved would die, you would take off your robe or your clothes, and you would put on burlap. You would put on a garment that was irritating to your skin, like burlap. And you would cover your head. You would take ashes from a fire, and you would cover your head. And the whole reason for this was so that people understood when they saw you that you were in mourning. It's kind of akin to people wearing black to a funeral. And then oftentimes they'll wear black for a period after that to mourn so that people know I'm mourning the loss of a loved one or something like that. And Isaiah is prophesying to the nation of Israel, telling them what God is going to do with the arrival of Jesus. That when Jesus comes and the kingdom comes into this world, when Jesus manifests and redeems the nation of Israel and ultimately redeems all of us, what is he going to bring with him? He's going to bring a trade out. Instead of ashes, you get the anointing oil of joy. Instead of a garment of sadness and a cloak of burlap, you get a garment of praise so that the spirit of heaviness can't sit on you anymore. Glory to God. See, we got we to understand this life in Christ, it's a joyful life. 
It's not meant to be a depressed life. It's not meant to be you cornered all the time. It's meant to be you rejoicing and you having the victory and you moving forward. Amen? Glory to God. You know what I love about real joy? The, the, the fruit of joy is messy. Did you, ever, did you ever put your hand into like a bucket of blueberries? Or did you ever go, did you ever go picking blueberries? We take the kids usually once a year to go up to Lansing and go pick blueberries for an afternoon. Man, your hands are so blue by the time you're done. Did you ever get a nice fresh bowl of cherries? I love cherries. And you just sit there and you eat them, and man, that cherry juice gets on your fingertips, and brother, it will stain the dickens out of whatever it touches. The thing I love about joy is that it's messy and it stains. It's, the, it's, that, it's that fruit of the Spirit that when it rubs off on everybody, it leaves a mark. Amen. Your joy is contagious. And it ought to be more contagious. When you, when you bump into people that are depressed because the world's been just dragging them down, the joy of the Lord that's on you ought to rub off and leave their fingertips a little bit messy. Amen? Joy's the fruit that just sort of gets everywhere. It's contagious. It's tangible. It's transferable. We know that Psalm says that the, one of the sources of our joy is the presence of the Lord, man. You get over into the presence of the Lord, and you don't have to wait to come to Sunday service to do it. You can do it tonight, tomorrow morning, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday at 3 a.m. doesn't matter. Just get in the presence of God. You will find joy. Let me take the last five minutes. Y'all doing okay? I'm going to go over my time by a couple minutes. That's all right. And take the last few minutes and talk about the fruit of peace. And this is the perfect one for us to end with today. I want to actually, instead of defining the Greek, defer to the Hebrew definition of this word today. The word peace, of course, many of you know this, is the word shalom in the Hebrew. Listen to what it means. It means completeness in number, safety, soundness in body, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, quiet, tranquility, contentment, peace with regards to friendship. That's big. It's, it's very complete. You've heard us mention it to you this way before. Peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. It's apple season, so we'll use an apple analogy. It's like an apple pie with no slices taken out yet. The whole thing's there. Nobody's touched the apple pie. You can see it all in one place. God's desire for your life is that you could see it all in one place. That you're not scattered, amen? That you're not broke, busted, and disgusted, and a piece of your heart's over here, and a piece of your heart's over there, and a piece of your heart's over there, and you left your heart in San Francisco, and this one broke your heart, and this one's got a piece over here, and you're fragmented, and the too many people in the world are splintered and fragmented, and, the, and the, the toil of the world has smashed the peace of God in their heart so that they're just a mess, and I know some of us probably identify with that. Some of us could say, before I found Jesus, I was like that. And some of you may be feeling that way today. And some of you watching on the, on, online may feel that way today. I'm here to tell you the peace of God will take every element of your life that's been busted and put it back together so that nothing is missing and nothing is broken. God can literally take any mess and redeem it back to its completed place. 
Isaiah 26, 3 says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That's one of those that I often quote in my head in the King James. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts thee. The word perfect peace in the Hebrew is not actually perfect peace. In the Hebrew, it's peace, peace. When you read that verse in Hebrew, it says you'll keep him in shalom, shalom, in peace, peace, whose mind has stayed on you. Why would that be? It's called double emphasis in Scripture, and it's a common Hebrew practice to mention a word twice in order to add significant emphasis to what is being said. You've heard this many, of t- many times. You may not have noticed it. Things like the holy of holies is double emphasis. Jesus, every time, especially the King James, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you. Really, really. Our kids do it. Really, really. Please, 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 please. They do more than double emphasis. Right? When, when God spoke to Adam and Eve, he said, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The surely die is die, die. It's in dying, you will die. It's, in other words, it's trying to communicate the significance, the seriousness of what's being said. You want to be kept in peace. You're not just going to be kept in casual peace by keeping your eyes on Jesus. You're going to be kept in perfect peace, peace, double peace. It's even the peace that's coming on you has peace. Amen. Your peace has got peace. That's a good way to think of it. Your peace has peace. Peace. Amen. It's God's design for our lives that his peace overwhelm us. That the significance of what it means to be held by God is experienced by every believer. He doesn't just want it for some, he wants it for everybody. His love makes his peace accessible to all. Let me close with this statement. One of the keys to living a life of peace is to protect it in your life. I've heard it said this way, if it costs you your peace, it's way too expensive. That fight, that argument, that situation, that decision, that opportunity, if it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. It could be the best opportunity in the world. You could, listen, you could go out here today and win the lottery and if it costs you your peace, it's too expensive. I'm not against people winning the lottery. I hope you do. Praise God. Tithe. Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I want everybody to be blessed. Amen. But the reality is no matter what the opportunity, no matter what the argument it is to win, no matter what the deal on the table is, no matter what the situation, no matter the relationship, if it costs you your peace, it's way, way too expensive. Amen. We need to learn to protect the peace in our life. How do we guard it? How do we hold on to the peace? It's an issue of focus. What did that scripture say in Isaiah 26? You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Peace is a product of our focus. Now, as we close today, I want to address anybody 
watching or in person, where you say, Pastor, my life has been fragmented by the challenges of this world. And I want to let you know there's peace for you today and that God will restore the parts of us that have been stolen. Amen? God's peace, his peace will restore to us the parts of our lives that have been stolen and fragmented. Just like that apple pie. Somebody came and took a little nibble. Somebody came and took a big slice. Somebody came and just broke off the little crust pieces because that's all they wanted was a little bit of crust. And then, but, but you felt it. I don't know about you, but I've had lots of relationships in my life that, that took pieces of my heart. The reality is that God's peace will come and set all that right. You say, how can he do that? I don't understand it. It's the supernatural grace of God. It's the love of our Father that will bring back together the parts of us that the enemy has stolen away. I'm going to leave you with this thought, and then we'll bow our heads in prayer. But this thought is that the love of God must be received by us. The joy of the Spirit of God must be discovered by us in the presence of God. And the peace of God must be guarded by us. You want to walk in love? You got to receive it first. You want to walk in joy? You got to discover it in this presence. You want to walk in peace? You got to guard that peace. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.